Hi, this is Ron Darling with SNY TV. Um, you know me from covering the Mets, and uh, I hope you get a chance to listen to Mets Musings with Gary Mack. I had a great time. I hope you do, too. Mets Musings is an unofficial, independent podcast covering New York's National League Baseball team. It is not affiliated in any way with Major League Baseball or the New York Mets. This is Len and Jeff from Baseball and Barbecue. And the one place to go for New York Mets news, past week game reviews, upcoming series previews, interviews, analysis, opinion, and and what's what's going going down down on the farm. farm. It's Mets Musings with Gary Mack. So keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. Mets Musings with Gary Mack. Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. And hello and welcome to another edition of Mets Musings. Hope you all had a terrific week out there. Spring training in full bloom now. Pitchers starting to make their first starts of the season. Starting to go a little bit longer as well. Uh, DeGrom's gone three innings. I think Syndergaard's gone three or four. They're starting to get into it. And we are a mere, what, three weeks away roughly to opening day. I can't wait. Can't wait. It's coming fast. Be here before you know it, so don't panic. And don't go by the record. We, we've said this before. They're trying out different things and throwing different pitches and trying to see how they're going to react in different situations. They're, they're learning new stuff. So please don't panic about any of that kind of stuff. It'll all be resolved, hopefully, by the time the season starts. And the position battles, whatever they may be, will also be all taken care of by the time the season starts so look forward to that that's what's interesting and just you know enjoy watching baseball there was an article though this week about um last year's trade the Kellenek deal and the Knof, you know ds coming here Kellenek and dunn going to uh, seattle and you know some people getting tired of hearing about it and we've got a voicemail to prove that it's from my good friend Jeff of Baseball and Barbecue. And uh, he's going to give a little opinion on uh, what he thinks, uh, not about the trade, but of the media coverage of it. Hey, Gary. Jeff here. Today is Sunday, March 1st, and I have to get something off my chest. I saw in the New York Post today an article from Joel Sherman talking about the Jared Canelo trade. Now, it's, this is now the second year this is going on. We, is it enough, enough of this uh, Kellenet trade? We know it was bad trade. Trading, trading uh, for Cano and Diaz, for Kellenet and Dunn. We, we know it was a bad trade. Enough already. It, you know, Kellenet's not even a major dick. Look, he might be the next Mike Trout, or if you the Mets reference, he might be the next Alex Escobar. We don't know. He hasn't played yet. But enough already with these articles. We know it's it's annoying already. If you remember the movie Major League, Jake Taylor said one thing. 
to end this, you have to win the whole lengthy thing. So unless the Mets win the World Series and, and Diaz has a, a great run and, and help us win the World Series, we're going to keep hear, seeing these articles. I know I'm sick of it. I, I just had to get off my chest. Thanks, Gary. Okay, Jeff, and you're welcome. Glad you got that off of your chest. And it does get a little tiring. We all know it was a bad deal and a dumb deal. But hopefully we'll see. Maybe it'll pan out this year. Cano has a good year, and um, uh, Diaz especially. If he has a good year, then all will be forgotten. And, uh, you know, there will only be a few of us that remember that Kalanick was a Met at one point in time, but it certainly was one of the worst deals in Mets histories, as I've said. I've said it numerous times, I think it's the worst deal, but um, we'll see what happens as time goes by. Not going to talk too much about the Mets because i got a terrific guest coming on in just a few minutes, and him and I are going to discuss all about the Mets and what's coming up in the season and all of that stuff. So uh, we're going to take a quick break here and come back right after this. Looking for great Cardinals talk? Then check out Conversations with C70. My name is Daniel Shopdaw, and I talk with some of the great bloggers on the Internet today about their teams. It always goes back to the Cardinals. Find the latest episode on my website, www.cardinal70.com or at baseballpodcast.net. Baseball and BBQ, your place for interesting baseball talk, opinions, and history. Baseball and BBQ, your place for barbecue recipes, tips, and interviews from the world of barbecue. If you like baseball and if you like barbecue, then tune in to Baseball and BBQ. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BaseballTalkRadio.com, along with Mets Musings and other great baseball podcasts. With all the Mets news, it is the news from around the world and around the corner. Here's Gary Mack. I'm joined this week by Justin Toscano. He's the Mets beat writer for NorthJersey.com and the USA Today Network. He is on the line. Welcome, Justin, to Mets Musings. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Justin, uh, you're fortunate enough to be down there in the sunshine of Florida and spring training, and uh, the weather's been really nice down there this year, and... uh, how are you enjoying the new field and, and uh, all of the uh, different things going on? No, yeah, it's, it's all uh, it's all good. Enjoying it well. Um, the you know the I guess the the new facility. You know everything's new, so mm-hmm. it's uh, it's nice. You know the access is is fine. Um, the the new workroom is is cool, and nice. So yeah, no no complaints on my end. You know it's, I always say like just. The weather's nice, so I'm not going to complain about anything else. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. So <laughs> how do you plan a day when you're down there? I mean, uh, you know, do you, like, there are certain things you want to follow up on and uh, you want to look into? Is that how it works? or? Yeah, so I keep a different, uh, a couple different banks of ideas. Uh-huh. Uh whether in whether in my head or, or writing them down. So um, I there are some days I know you know most days I go in knowing what I'm going to do, you know for the for the day. Maybe it's uh, Seth Lugo is throwing like a simulated game or, or somebody you know we know we're going to get an update on somebody. So 
most days I know what's going to come on that front, but then I also try to keep a bank of ideas in my head of, of um, off the wall stuff, whether it be uh, feature stuff or, or just stuff that, you know, other people wouldn't have, or maybe wouldn't have, have thought about. So I try to keep those in my head too. And, um, and when we're in the clubhouse, try to go about executing them, whether it's because, you know, sometimes you're not, you're not going to get, if you want to talk to Michael Conforto, sometimes Michael Conforto is going to be working the entire time the right. clubhouse is open. So it's like, maybe you're not going to get him. So I try to have a bunch of different ideas, uh, like about five or six that I want to get to. And it inevitably ends like I, you know, I'm always playing catch up <laughs> these ideas. <laughs> so they're always, you know, more pop into my head and I, you know, I write them down I keep them in a note, um, in my phone and then, and then on a portfolio, like I, uh, diagram a more on a portfolio, mm-hmm. uh, folder, notepad, legal pad type thing. And, right. um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what I do. So it, it, that helps me, uh, just remember all these things. So I have so many ideas swirling through my head, yeah. um, and it gets hectic. So yeah, that's usually what I do. That's a long winded way of, no, 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 that's, it's, it's very interesting. I'm, I'm a, a person that likes to uh you know i like the behind the scenes kind of stuff and i I think a lot of the listeners like that as well and they don't really know you know they think you go and you watch the ball game and everything and then just like the story writes itself but it is a lot of work it's a lot of pre-planning and like you say if you if you're planning to get michael conforto and you can't get him you have to go to plan b and and you first off you have to have a plan b (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and some instances you probably have to have a C, D, A, E, and F. So uh, that was very interesting. Now, you did write an article uh, the other day about uh, J.D. Davis uh, progressing, uh, taking ground balls and whatnot. Um, how is uh, J.D. Davis in his recovery from this injury, his shoulder problem that he had, uh, how's he doing at this point? Uh, so it seems like he's doing very well. I know there was... You know, I do understand Mets fans and, and being a little cynical, and, and I get that. I know there's previous reason for that, so I'm not going to knock that. But I do think people were a little more uh, um, downtrodden when it happened. And I know it looked bad, but he really, a couple days after it, I mean, he felt pretty well, mm-hmm. and the soreness and the achiness wasn't really, you know, no sharp shooting pains or anything like that. So um, I know people were worried that a couple days after he was only swinging with, with one arm, kind of had the bat in his, his good, his right arm. And, uh, but to me, I think that was just a progression. And so now he's doing baseball activities. So really as good as you could have hoped because the Mets, um, you know, we're just going to reassess him in, in a week, which, uh, which would have been, you know, Wednesday, if you count, you know, from the day he got the MRI. So uh, mm-hmm. yesterday, and, and so far he's doing well, doing baseball activities and it doesn't, you know, you never know his shoulders and I get that, but it doesn't seem, he's never feared missing opening day, but, um, and talking to him, but um, that's not just a positive cover, if that makes sense. I think he's, he's well on his way to a, to a full recovery and, and really I, I understand you know the fan base is concerned because it did look look bad when you dive diagonally like that and you, right. you stay on the ground for some time can can hardly hold it up but um hey it looks like it's all gonna be good but right now yeah it's just baseball activities and then kind of evaluating when he would be able to uh to play in games but if you're in terms of the baseball activities i mean he's doing batting practice and and all that so really the next thing is like live at bats and getting his timing back and uh 
like making sure he can dive back to the bag and extend that shoulder, th- things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, but really he's been doing, I mean, he took ground balls, uh, in the outfield is as early as last oh man last friday so yeah i mean really he's you know it's probably as good as you could have hoped for you know and it does seem like a true i know when the mets dub these you know call these injuries one thing i get that people you know maybe <laughs> think they're just covering it up but it's it does seem like a true jam shoulder um he's lucky and he said that he's lucky to have no structural damage so everything you know everything's looking up and uh and then good thing because the guy who another guy who also might be playing left field we don't know when he's gonna play so <laughs> well i gotta gonna ask about him too but um uh seth lugo is another injury that came about down in spring training uh how has he been looking you know he's he's good so he had the more natural pitching progression that's always weird with those guys he had to wait a couple of days to gr- throw off a bound, but really he never stopped throwing. Um, in terms of protecting the foot at first, they gave him um, what, you know, what was like a sole insert, but it was, he described it as like a plate of steel. So he, he just took it out because it was, you know, uncomfortable and it hurt his foot. But then, you know, he was starting to get back and it done like bullpens and then live BP. And now today a, a simulated game and he looked, I mean, you know, it's hard to tell with those because pitchers, you know, you have to work your way back to, and it's different pitching in that than, than even a live BP session. So he uh, he threw everything through it with what he believed to be his full velocity, you know, full effort. Um, he did have a couple, you know, uh, Ronnie Mauricio, the top prospect, uh, singled and then later scored on a double from Mark Vientos, another top, pro- you know, another – uh, highly heralded prospect, right. but you know, there was some hard contact and I know Seth is a competitive guy and, uh, gets on himself for that. But I think, uh, it's really hard to judge. I think, you know, they, the Mets were pleased with, with what he showed and, and by all means he was, he was pleased too, as, as he looked back on it. Yeah. It's, it, I think the main thing you look for in that situation is that he's not throwing his mechanics off or, or, because boy, once you do that, that's you know you're asking for a lot of problems. Then and sometimes a toe can do that. If uh, I don't, you're a young guy, maybe you don't remember, but Dizzy Dean uh, broke his toe. He was a great pitcher and uh, threw off his mechanics and and really ended his career because he hurt his arm doing it. And you know you don't want to see that nowadays. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. You know, he's in everyday life probably progressed a lot lot quicker with that toe but it's like yeah then you don't they weren't gonna do a live bp until they knew he could land properly right um the way the way he's used to yeah like you said mechanically and uh yeah so that it seems like everything is good to go and uh with him i mean gosh you know with the season he had last year he's probably the least of uh the least of their worries they could afford to give him a an extra couple of days and just be cautious. Sure. Why not? No, no sense rushing them. They've got, a, uh, I think they've got enough, uh, depth this year to, to not push him or a JD Davis either. But one guy, uh, we're talking about and, um, the guy, the other guy out in left field, Yannis Cespedes, uh, have you been able to watch any of his workouts and anything? And, and what's your opinion on him? Yeah, so he was taking live BP pretty much from the first 
we agreed, you know, right when position players reported, so right when the full squad workouts began. And, you know, I know Luis Rojas said that uh, Cespedes looked like he hadn't missed a beat in live BP. And, uh, you know, that's pretty accurate, you know, like, because I, you know, I've been there and a lot of times, you know, like I said, people casual, you know, the fans think that these, the team personnel is trying to sugarcoat it, right? But mm-hmm. no, I mean, he's, He's had some bad swings here and there, but I think it's more of like a timing thing and not having played since 2018. Right. To me, the thing I've seen is he has hammered a couple balls in a, in live BP. <laughs> like his batting practice is, of course, always fun, but facing live pitching in, uh, in those sessions and the, simu- and the simulated games, I mean, he has really gotten on some balls. And, uh, yeah, he looks to be Yoannis Cespedes. I think it's – and it, but it's it goes back to what everybody thought beforehand, right? It's well, you don't question whether he can hit like Yoannis Cespedes. You question how he's going to be able to move in the outfield, right? And um, as of you know a week and a half ago, they were running him straight, and uh, he was running at about eighty percent. So you know he's going to have to zigzag. He's going to have to. They're going to have to put him through the ringer that way. Um, but, you know, and who knows when that'll come. It's so hard to project because they haven't put a timeline on him. And it's, uh, you know, with HIPAA and every, it's like you can't get a, you know, it's, there's really nothing you can do but but take their no timeline on him. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, uh, I think the positive is that, yeah, he does look like you want to assess this with the bat in his hand. And wh- why rush him? I mean, you know, the they used to Davis or Smith out in left field or, now with the acquisition of Marisnik, I mean they can put Nimmo over there. Why, why rush him? I mean uh, he could be a fresh body coming in in May or something like that. Yeah, there's there's ways you can tinker with it. Uh, like you, yeah, like you said. I mean they have. If you look at it, you know, if you count Dom Smith between the, you know the the guy, you know, even they have a surplus of outfielders. Mm-hmm. So. Um, um, if they play their cards right. And if you consider, you know, Cespedes and Jed Lowry, maybe not being ready for opening day, uh, maybe one of the extra roster spots goes to, to something like that, but it's like, you, you never know. But, um, but yeah, I, there's no really, there's no real sense in rushing them. Now, if he were still making upwards of 30 million, like he, <laughs> you know, was intended yeah. to do, you know, months, months ago before they amended his contract, then yeah, you're going to be a little more, you know, not hurt the team, but you're to the point of hurting the team, but you're going to be a little more apt to, to get him going on the track there. But, um, but yeah, the, now that he's not making as much, there's really no use in rushing him and, and really screwing up what the step you took last year, you know, with these young mm-hmm. guys finding, right. finding their footing and, mm-hmm. and this young core stepping in. So there's no real, no real need to, to mess with that. You know, you just mentioned a guy that I have to be honest with you. I forgot he's still on the team, and that's Jed Lowry. We haven't heard a word about him. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I haven't watched every game. Has he played in any games? Has he done anything at all in spring training? So he's going through the full range of baseball activities that you would expect of a game, you know, hitting, uh-huh. running, throwing, uh, fielding. The only thing he hasn't done is sliding, and that's where the the kind of the problem comes in is that he's wearing this big brace that goes from right above the ankle to to mid thigh. He says, right. and he says it makes it you know makes quote unquote me feel like myself. So I mean, um, that 
part is concerning, you know, if you need a brace to be able to, to feel normal out yeah. there. But, um, but Brody Van Wagenen said uh, yesterday that the Mets are looking into options of uh, transitional braces or um, even trimming the, the current one, you know, trimming the current ones he has or something using something like that. But, um, you know, the options are open and I think it, he made it seem like the Mets want to get something a little lighter and sleeker and more mobile. And, uh, cause this thing, this thing's a big break. It's huge. Uh, this is a big break. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It's humongous. It's like, it's, it looks like one of those ones you put on somebody who just tore their ACL, yeah. but he, you know, he's playing in it. So that's, uh, so he has not played the spring training games yet. He's another one of the no timeline guys. Okay. Well, I, <laughs> I mean, I like I said, I forgot he was on the team till you just mentioned him. I it just and I remember that he had the brace thing on. They had pictures early when he first got down to spring training, was taking ground balls and stuff. But it is one of those forgettable guys now. Yeah. No. Absolutely, and he's he's at the age, man, where I'm not going to say he's over there because he had, when the Mets signed him, he had a lot to give, and, and that was a great signing for them. But, man, he is at the age where you, you just wonder how long, you know, is, if, right. he, if he's even going to be able to do it for this year, a contract year, or how long, you know, in the future. And it's like you feel deep down, I know he gets a lot of ridicule, but deep down you feel bad for the guy. And that's, you know, not a fun, whatever the injury is. He's sure. very, he's been very vague about that, but that's not, I would imagine that's not a fun thing to deal with. Uh, you know, he, you feel for him in that regard. Cause of course he wants to play and, but I get it, man. Like Mets fan, like, you know, yourself, it's, you forget that he's even on the team, but he's yeah. making 20 million over two years, you know? So it's like, just really unfortunate, but I mean, the organization probably couldn't have foreseen this coming. Well, that's it. You know, you never can really tell on an injury, and uh, you just kind of hope. But, you know, when when it's that age, you kind of, I don't know, I think you got to be a little bit more cautious, you know, and not uh, maybe not sign those guys. But, again, it was a two-year deal, nothing outrageous, and uh, it's just not paying off. Well, um, Jacob, no. De- Jacob DeGrom was on television last week. He pitched, I think it was Sunday he pitched. Um, he gave his usual Degrom appearance. <laughs> Is it boring watching him now? <laughs> no, man. I mean, it's one of the uh, God. It, it's such a treat. With sometimes you watch those games that are just very sloppy, mm-hmm. but every time Degrom's out there, it's like. It's it's like art, you know. It's right. like close as you can get to poetry in baseball. It's the way he, even the way he holds runners, but just the way he sets up and his his routine and like his wind up and it's, I mean, his stuff is just like you see these bad swings, you know, with guys and you, mm-hmm. then you hear from him after the game and it's, you know, he's like ah, I didn't just didn't have it tonight, but then he went seven and gave up a run, you know, right? It's like, and it's just like, it, it's you know these days it never gets boring because these days um, you just don't see that uh, at all. And, and he finishes the season on what? 23 scoreless innings, I think. And it's just uh, last year. And it, I mean, you wonder how he continues to do it at such a high level. He put in 2018, he 
put up one of the best Cy Young seasons ever, then managed to make something comparable in 2019, even though he had all those bad starts in April and May. Mm-hmm. For which, for him, that seemed like two horrible months, but for somebody else, probably would have been a little more normal. Right, right. Would have been average. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, exactly. And, uh, of course, Noah Syndergaard, uh, he's a tough guy to, to really get a grip on. I mean, he looks good in inning and then bad in inning, and then, he, he, you know, it's like last year he, he was awesome one game, pitcher one hitter, and then the next game he's given up uh, three homers in the first inning. Um, how's he been looking? I, you know, it's hard to say now. I mean, because obviously he's working on different stuff, but how's he look physically and, and everything like that? Uh, physically, I don't think you'll ever hear a complaint. <laughs> no, it's Syndergaard. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, yeah, he's working on controlling the running game, uh, getting so getting quicker, being quicker to home plate. Um but yeah, he's he's a hard one to pin, especially in spring training. Cause he's, he gave up a homer the other day and, and another run. But then again, he struck out five guys, you know, over three innings. So you're thinking to yourself, like, you know, like how do you how do you evaluate an outing like that? Um, gosh, so yeah, you're right. Like I don't know exactly what to expect from him this year. You know, he has all the talent in the world. But last year it was like first it was you know it was cold outside, tough to grip the ball, and then. In Kansas City, it was oh, it's humid out. So you know, tough to grip the ball again. Right, right. Uh, and then he had he had that um, the leaked meeting, you know, about his numbers with Wilson Ramos, and it's just like you never know what you're gonna what you're gonna get. And I'm not calling that all like his fault, but it's just uh, yeah, it's tough to pin. But I mean, in his corner, he's got all the talent in the world, and he's got great stuff. as a power, you know, power th- hard throwing guy. I mean, mm-hmm. he. Like, geez, he, you know, he lights up the radar guns, so he's always got a chance, like, you know, to throw a one hitter every every now and then. I mean, he's just that good. But it's just like, I don't know. You wonder with a guy what prevents them from being able to uh, string it together for more than a start or two, and yeah. I don't know what that is for him. Right, right. It's it's almost like is it is it in his head? Is it just? Uh, I mean, it's not physical. Let's you know he, he he's always in great shape. He looks terrific, but uh, it's just I don't know. Uh, and I think last year part of it may have been he let the Ramos thing get into his head, and sometimes that's a bad thing if you're a pitcher, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it's like you never know what to credit those struggles to, but um. Yeah, it's like it's hard to say whether it's even in his head because it's like I don't, you know, I don't pitch at the big league level. How would I know? You know what I mean? I don't know his life, <laughs> yeah, past, yeah. you know, baseball. So it's like it's hard for me. I try to avoid. So, oh, you know, like maybe it's in his head now. Like I don't know. I mean, it. I guess it could be, but it's it's a tough thing to speculate on. You just wonder why a guy who, I mean, gosh, three years ago, I mean, he's still viewed as like a generational talent, just based on the talent he has. But a few years ago, you thought he was the next huge thing, and he still is. He's very good. He's an ace-level pitcher, depending on, you know, what team he's on. But, but, yeah, it's like, man, you – it's just – and then there's the other part where maybe he doesn't get enough credit because Jacob deGrom pitches the day before him, you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, could be. Maybe maybe that's part of it. 
Yeah, it, it, it that could be it uh, exactly. But, well, we'll see. Hopefully he can put it all together this year, you know. Um, the rotation, the back end of the rotation with uh, Waka and Mats, um, what do you think? Who's going to win that battle? How are they both looking? And Waka pitched pretty well. Mats has been pitching pretty good. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, obviously now it's funny because it seemed Waka versus Porcello, but now it's almost like Porcello's got like an almost seems like to be a guarantee. Mm -hmm. um, but Matt's, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not sure. It's tough because he was told he was a starter. Porcello was told he was a starter. Waka was told he was a starter. Unless they're cooking up something, you know. I know I saw that New York Post report about maybe an opener, like maybe doing right. it based on matchup. And I, I don't like either of those ideas with mm -hmm. pitchers as talented as they have. But I think in my head, I think it would be tough to not have a lefty in your rotation at all. And I don't think Steven Matz has been bad enough to lose his spot. Mm -hmm. um, I think he had an inconsistent 2019. But do I think he's ruined? Not by any stretch. Then again, I don't think Michael Walker could be making much of a better case for you know he's pitched well so i mean yeah. it's just gonna be you could always have like gosh a guy like that maybe come you know you could have him come out of the bullpen as, as the eighth guy and maybe he gives you length here and there when something blows up um and then you save him him ready kind of like a walker locket type deal from from last year but a better right. uh version of that because you need inevitably like injuries happen you're gonna need that that fill-in guy but then it's just you know, I know guys don't like to be told that and they want to be in the rotation, but it's just like you would think that whoever is the odd man out of that rotation battle is going to have opportunity at some point. Yeah, I would agree, uh, especially, you know, early in the year, there's a chance of rainouts and things like that. So somewhere along the line is going to be double headers and you're going to need an extra pitch or two, and that's that's the perfect spot for him. It's just keeping him ready and and uh, good to go. Uh, Brandon Nimmo uh, looks like he's doing Brando uh, Brand, Brando Brandon Nimmo type of uh, work again. Uh, didn't seem to miss a beat from two years ago. How has he has how has he looked in your estimation so far? Good, good. He had that you know that brief. It wasn't a scare for him, but I understood why uh, why it brought an anxiety to the fan base, the additional heart testing. But um, other than that, he's looked good. He's the, one of the top, you know, he's, he'll be a top two guy in the lineup in terms of either he or McNeil leading off. Um, so he's always a candidate for that. But, yeah, you know what you're going to get in terms of the good plate discipline, the, uh, the on-base percentage. And, I mean, look, in the outfield, he's, you know, he's a stud as well. I think – I don't think he gets enough credit. Um, I think people tend to look past him because they wanted Starling Marte or they wanted uh, Mookie Betts, and they right. were just willing to throw Brandon Nimmo into any trade to get an all-star type guy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But one, he's still young. And two, I mean, I think he's got room to grow. And I, I mean, look, it was as impressive as you know you'll ever see in terms of having – not played much last season. Then he comes in, in September and has the type of month he has. Now right. it's only one month, but after a long layoff like that, I mean, he, I think he's really, really ready to go. 
Yeah, I, I, I always liked him. I always, Even when the first time he came up towards the end of the year and he had a big month and uh, I forget what he hit, 240 or 270 or something like that. But it was just what impressed me was that the uh, the ability to get on base and he always seemed to be involved in a rally, either getting it started or being in the middle of it, getting a walk or, or, or a hit. And that always impressed me. And um, I, I, as you say, I, I think he doesn't get enough credit. And as far as his glove goes, I don't think he gets enough credit for that as well. No, yeah, I don't think he does. And I think, I think he's a good center fielder. Look, there weren't very many good options on the market um, over the off season. I think Brandon Nimmo is your best bet. I, I know Dom Smith is a surplus, but I don't think it was worth making some huge blockbuster trade where you'd have to throw in Jeff McNeil, you'd have to throw somebody else. I think the current group, I'm high on the current group, maybe higher than most. Um, I think defensively they'll be better this year. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, I mean, Ahmed Rosario has taken a big step forward. I think for the first half they were just so awful defensively, really right. in both halves, but, um, but it really showed itself in the first half. And, so I like Brandon Nimmo. I think he's got room to grow. I mean, he's always, like you said, he's always seems to be in the middle there. He's a guy who has energy too. And you can't mm -hmm. really, you know, you can't really, that's what you can't gauge in terms of the clubhouse. Right. I think he's an integral part of, of that core. And I think I, whenever the situation comes that the Mets field trade offers so, anything like that, I mean, I think that's a point GMs look at is like, what's the clubhouse like? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like, he's one of, he's one of the guys, he's one of the young core position players. And, and I think that means something. It is, I mean, he's not, he's not a bad player. You know, he's, he's above average and I think he can get better. Yeah. I I'm with you. Uh, whether or not he was a first round pick, you know, who knows, but, he was, and that's in past history, and he made it to the, to the major league. So uh, I think he'll be good. Um, Edwin Diaz and Jaris Familia, those are the two big names in the bullpen that everybody's asking about. Familia lost 30, 35 pounds, whatever it was. Uh, how is he looking, um, throwing a ball? And uh, Edwin Diaz, what, what do you have on him? Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, Jerry's Familia, uh, that was big for him to, to lose that weight because now he's back at where he, you know, he has been for the rest of his career. And he, you know, all signs I haven't watched, to be honest, much of him in, in live BPs this year, but his bullpens have seen good and uh, he's had positive, you know, reviews from everyone around him. And he's just trying to take the pressure off himself after, after a bad year, as is, you know, as is Edwin Diaz, um, who, I mean, Edwin Diaz, to his credit, has, has been honest about how the booze did get him last year and how it is tough to pitch in those and how he just has to let those go. And I think mechanically – Edwin's working on using that lower half and staying on top of his fastball and, uh, really, you know, it's releasing at a different point, you know, kind of trying to stay on top of it. But I think Jeremy Hefner, that has a lot to do with 
um, with Jeremy Hefner and, and kind of the forward thinking nature that he brings. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, you have a guy like Edwin Diaz last year was such an anomaly. You know, what happens to guys where their careers just go off the rails and they're never the same, but Edwin Diaz, I think has too much talent to be another one of those cases. You look at what he, you don't do what he did have a sub two ER, you know, for extended time with, without that talent. And I think he's, I think he'll be fine this year. I know people are worried about him, but I I think last year was a blip. Um was tough, especially with the with the juiced baseballs, you know, for guys mm-hmm. who throw like Edwin, if you get a piece of it, it's gonna go four hundred feet. Right. But um I you know, I think he'll be a lot better, especially because he he's gotten time to get confidence back in the slider and I think that's gonna be good for him. Uh, I mean, I hope so. If, if he's good and Familia's good and Betances can come back, I mean, you know, we're looking at one of the – Justin Wilson's pitching well. Uh, it, it could be one of the best bullpens in baseball, and that's how – bullpens are funny that way. They can be terrible one year and have virtually the same, you know, cl- uh, uh, people in there the next year and, and be awesome. So let's hope they can put it together. That would be a good year for us then. Yeah, yeah, I think um, you're right online with that. It it could be one of the best bullpens in the league, certainly in the NL. Um, Batances, if I think he will, you know, look, I don't think he had any. He had those injuries and he missed a lot of time, but those aren't injuries that ruin your career. So I think he will be what Dylan Batances has been for for his entire career. It'll take him a bit to knock the rust out, but he's going to be good. And I think, um, yeah, if the key is if Edwin Diaz and Jerry's Familia uh, perform, I think you've got a really good group because there are going to be struggles. But the problem last year was that when the struggles hit, Seth Lugo was the only one performing. Right. And when he struggled, the bullpen was shot. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you yeah. and like you said, you also have Justin Wilson. Brad Brock is a very solid addition. That's, you know, that's back this year. Um, that they resigned for, right. for the next, you know, right. this year in a player uh-huh. option. But um, yeah, I think I I'm higher on the team than than maybe most. I don't know what the people's personal predictions are, but you know, I know a lot of people wanted them to add a lot this off season. But I thought the current group, if you could add to the bullpen a little and replace Zach Wheeler somehow, I thought the current group is pretty good. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I didn't see any big deals that out there that would have made sense. No no big free agents. Uh, I mean, would it have been nice to add Garrett Cole to this pitching staff? Sure. <laughs> but, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but other than Realistic, that. Realistic, right? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, uh, the only thing is if you could have got a, a Rendon, if you could have signed him or uh, or, or gotten, gotten uh, a you know, Chris Bryant, when they were talking about trades with him and it didn't cost you too much, um, I, 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 you know, that would be something I would have looked into. But other than what they did, I, you know, I'm pretty happy with the team. I think they have a lot of young talent going forward. And speaking of young, we have a young manager that uh, after the fiasco with Carlos Beltran and all of that, uh, how has Rojas been in in spring training does he does he look comfortable does he look like he's in control um what's your thoughts on that 
Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Luis Rojas has been very much composed. I mean, that's the word you always hear. That and calm, collected, cool, uh, even keeled. Those those buzzwords you hear about him are are true. Um, but he has he does have impressive command because he doesn't seem like a first year guy figuring it out. You can tell that. You know, yes, he might be a first-time major league manager, but you can tell that he has had eight years of managerial experience in the minors, and then a few, see, you know, a handful of years in the Dominican Winter League, and so he does. He already looks like he knows what's going on. Look, this is a guy who spent his entire childhood, you know, growing up in clubhouses and uh, and following his dad's lead. You know, base, and now he's a baseball lifer. And I think that he certainly seems like that. And this team is not being run like, hey, we have a first-time manager. Let's take the stress off of him. No, he's very much he's very much in control. And I think, uh, man, I think from an in-game standpoint, you know, nothing against Mickey Calloway aside, but from an in-game standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, from a spokesperson standpoint, I think. I think the Mets have a really, really good one. And that's not to say that Beltron wouldn't have been good, but I think when you look at what you have in Luis Rojas, there was no reason to perhaps let the Beltron stuff fester. And as we've seen, I mean, throughout spring training, that story would have not died down. Right, right, right. Because this new stuff comes up almost every day on, on Houston. So they would have been all over him. Well, I, I I think uh, like you said, uh, Rojas has the experience, and it, it doesn't hurt that he was with the team last year, so he knows the guys, and he had some of the young guys who are really becoming the new leaders of this team now, the McNeils and and uh, Alonzo, uh, and he had some of those guys in the minus, so they're familiar with him, and I think that that means a lot. Yeah, that that's the big thing that you can't really understate is that they know what to expect in him. They've said he's approachable, and that's a big thing because he didn't have these guys when they were major league players. He had them when they were minor league players. In the minors, there's so much shuffle up and down that a lot of times managers can't. It's hard for them to establish these relationships with players, and it's you know it's tough to win. Like Pete Alonso said it a lot, like it's hard to win, harder to win in the minors than it is in the majors. Yeah. Cause you're as a manager, you're dealing with so many different pieces every week that, you know, you don't, it, it's, it's hard to win. And he, you know, he won a championship with, um, you know, in 2013 in, in the minor league system. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, that he's got the respect of players and not to say Mickey Calloway didn't because in my humble opinion, you don't make a run like that over the second half if you hate your manager. Right. Uh, if you hate coming to work like that, that doesn't happen. But um, so nothing against Mickey Calloway, but I think Luis Rojas, I mean, you know, he's got the respect of his players, a couple of which, you know, reached out um, to to the baseball ops team when, when the opening was vacant again, when the job was vacant again. And that's, that's a big thing. It translates. It translates to the field. Um, and I think, yeah, you – God, it's like you haven't heard a bad word about him this this spring, right? Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, everything seems rosy. So I hope we go all the way. This year. <laughs> I can't promise that, but well, <laughs> we can we can hope. Hope springs eternal in the spring. Right? 
Well, yeah, everybody, this is the time of year where everybody is uh, going to make a run to the title, right? Right, everybody's tied for first. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Nobody's lost it. Everybody's undefeated. There you go. <laughs> well, Justin, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to uh, come on this evening, and I hope we can talk again during the season as well. Cool, cool. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. It was great. All right. And I'll be back right after this. Hey, baseball fans and book fans as well. This is Frank Nappy, author of the Legend of Mickey Tussler series, inviting all of you to learn more about my protagonist, Mickey Tussler, an incredible pitching prodigy who has autism. Follow Mickey's journey as he captures the hearts of fans everywhere with his blazing fastball and indomitable spirit. Please visit Amazon or www.franknappy.com for more information. Hi, this is the world-famous Mr. Brewtown of BrewtownSports.Potomatic.com. You know, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, Plus. Uh, Brewtown Sports. You can also listen to the show at Stitcher.com, TuneIn.com, and iTunes.com. And we've got the new one. It's called BrewtownRadio.Webley.com. But the one that I'm most proud of being on is BaseballPodcast.net. It is the home of great baseball talk shows. Check it out, my show and all kinds of other programs all about Major League Baseball. So check it out. That's BaseballPodcast.net, the home for great baseball talk shows. 516-619-6341. That is the comment voicemail hotline if you'd like to be a part of the show and drop us a line leave us a comment or a voicemail question anything at all call that number 516-619-6341 or go to metsmusings.com and click on that widget in the middle of the screen and that's a speak pipe and you can leave a voicemail right through your computer through your computer's microphone or if you prefer to do things the old-fashioned way, send us an email at metsmusings at gmail.com. The Facebook page is facebook.com slash groups slash metsmusings. And the Twitter handle is at metsmusings1. And uh, if you'd uh, like to help out the show, check out our Patreon page. Check out the campaign at patreon.com slash metsmusings. Swoboda of the 69 New York Mets, and you're listening to Mets Musings with Gary Mack. And thank you, Ron, and it's time to go down on the farm. Uh-oh! All right, the Mets farm system took hits last offseason and again during the 2019 season. What a bunch of highly rated prospects were traded away in deals seems like to be the theme of the day for immediate fixes, but their farm system entering the 2020 season is in solid shape, according to Keith Lohr of The Athletic. Lohr, whose rankings of all 30 MLB farm systems were released on Monday, ranked the Mets number 16 overall, noting that despite the trades of so many of their top prospects, the Mets' recent drafts and international signings, with many of those signings producing right away after coming stateside, have kept the system afloat. So 
They're in the middle of the pack, but not bad considering the trading away of some, you know, for number one picks. We spoke about Kalanick and Dunn. Anthony Kay was traded. Um, still, the system is holding together. And that's because they, they held on to Jimenez and Mauricio and uh, Brett Batty and, and uh, some of the other younger guys. As we've said on this program before, the problem right now is that the farm system is stronger lower down. And if there's not much up at the top. But you know what? They're going to come. They're going to come. Some of them are going to come fast, faster than maybe you realized. And uh, before you know it, they'll be at City Field. David Peterson's another one that's uh, coming fast. Josh uh, Wolf, uh, Matthew Allen, you know, those guys, they're all coming. So uh, Kevin Smith is another guy. So lots of guys um, and lots of talent in the Mets farm system. So don't worry about it. All right, and that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. I hope you enjoyed it, and I want to thank my guest, uh, Justin Toscano. Thanks so much for coming on this week, and I want to thank you all for listening, and don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, um, CastBox, uh, wherever you listen to the podcast, just subscribe to the program. This way you'll never miss another edition, and it helps me uh, grow the show and expand to new listeners. And remember, until next time, keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. And I'll see you next time on another edition of Mets Musings.